I want to say good morning to those watching online, those of you here in the room. My mentor used to tell me often, James, don't just practice what you preach, preach what you practice. So we tell you every week about who's your one and who you're sharing the gospel with, who you're inviting to church. And so I just want you to pray for me. I'm leaving this week, taking about 30 people, and I'm going to Kenya. And we're going to Nairobi. And we're going to be literally walking the streets of Nairobi, sharing the gospel. I'll be going everywhere from butcher shops to little pop-up stands on the street. We just walk street after street after street. We lead people to Christ. We bring them back. I'm preaching in a great church. Church runs about six or 7,000 people. I'll be told on TV, by the way, that service is televised all over Kenya. And so I'll be preaching there and uh, just pray that God will use us in a great and a mighty and a wonderful way. I believe the last, we were there two years ago, and I think one-on-one, I think I led 48 people to Christ. And I don't say that to brag. I'm saying I don't ask you to do what I don't do. I don't ask you to invite people. I invite people. I don't ask you to share your faith I, that I, if I don't share mine. I can't even ask you to go overseas if I'm not going. So I just feel they'd ask you, please pray for me and the team that's going over there that God would use us in a great and a mighty way. In February of 1945, a meeting took place in the Levadia Palace along the Black Sea in Crimea. And in order to make sure that the, key, that the meeting was kept top secret and nobody would know about it, it was codenamed Argonaut. It's since been referred to as the Yalta Conference. Now, if you're not a history buff like I am, let me tell you what was going on. There were three main people at this meeting, and they were the giants of the 20th century. And they were the head of the Allied forces during the Second World War. Here, here was in that meeting. Franklin Roosevelt, the President of the United States, Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, and the Soviet Premier, Joseph Stalin. This was the second of only three occasions these men would ever meet together. And the reason they were meeting could not have been more important, could not have been more significant. The Allied forces had Hitler on the run. They knew they were going to find, finally win the war. They knew that Hitler would not become the world dominator and dictator that he thought they would be. Now they had this difficult task of kind of deciding, okay, who's going to get what? And how is all of this going to be carved up. And historians look back and now say, of all the meetings that ever took place in a hundred years of the 20th century, that was by far the most important meeting. Now, most of us will never be in a room like that. Most of us will never be in a meeting that has worldwide implications. We'll never be talking to anybody about foreign policy. But there's one meeting that we can have anytime any place with the most important being in the universe. I know that because I met with him this morning, and it's God. You and I, every day, can have a meeting with God. Now, I want you to think about this. Every day of your life is kind of like an investment. It's kind of like putting money in the bank. One difference. Every day of your life, the most valuable thing you have to invest is your time. Life is time. Life's not money. Life is time. When your time is up, your life is over. So every day, if God is gracious, you've got 24 hours, just practically seven or eight for sleep, you've got 16 hours to invest. So the question we ought to be asking every day is this, all right, if this is my last day on earth, if my time is over after this day, what is the single most important investment I can make 
with my time. Now, we're in a series uh, we're calling Red Sea Moments. If you are just joining us, we've been studying one of the greatest giants in all of the Bible, and his name was Moses. And if you brought a copy of God's Word, turn to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 19. What we're going to learn today is that without question, the greatest single investment we can make with our life every single day, the one that is guaranteed to be the greatest blessing, the one that is guaranteed to give you the greatest rate of return, the one that is guaranteed you will never regret if you do it, is meeting with God. Now, let me tell you what's going on. God has led the nation of Israel out from under the bondage of Egypt. They've been gone for about three months. They've traveled about 190 miles. And now they've come full circle back to the same place where Moses first encountered God in front of that burning bush, a place called Sinai. Now, for the first time in 400 years, the people are going to meet with God. 400 years. God's been silent. They forgot God. They rejected God. They turned their back on God. But now Moses has delivered them. And for the first time in 400 years, they're going to be in his presence. They're going to receive his word. Let me tell you how important this meeting is. This meeting is so important, they didn't move for 11 months. They stayed right where they were for 11 months. That's how important this meeting was. Now, before the people met with God, God wanted to meet with Moses. And every meeting was a mountaintop meeting. Now, when you read the book of Exodus, you might get the idea Moses only went up to the mountain one time. Actually, he went up seven times. He would go up, meet with God, come back. Go up, meet with God, come back. Go up, meet with God, and come back. Because God wanted to show Moses, God wanted to show the people, God wanted to show us the biggest deal of your life every day is meeting with God. It's not meeting with your boss. It's not meeting with your financial advisor. It's not meeting with your teacher. It's not meeting with the principal. The most important meeting you will have in your life every day is meeting with God. Now, I want to say one thing. And I hope you'll believe me. The same God that met with Moses wants to meet with you. Can I get an amen to that? The same God that met with Moses wants to meet with you. The same God that spoke to Moses wants to speak to you. And this mountaintop meeting can teach us how we can meet with the God of this universe every single day. And let me tell you the best news of all. Number one, you don't have to make an appointment. You don't need a peach pass. You don't have to wait in line. He doesn't even charge a fee. Every day, we can have a mountaintop meeting with God. Well, what does it take? How do you do it? And why should I make it a big deal? Three things I want to tell you this morning. Number one, we must prioritize meeting with God. We must prioritize meeting with God with God. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. When you meet with God, He dictates the terms. You don't meet with God on your terms. You meet with God on His terms. So God tells Moses, Moses, I want you to instruct the people because I want them to be ready for the meeting. I want them to want the meeting. So we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 19. On the first day of the third month at the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. 
And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, the first thing that God says to Moses is, Moses, I want you to remind the people of how they got here to begin with. I want you to remind the people of what I've done for them. And God does kind of something interesting. He uses an eagle as a reminder. He says, I want you to tell them specifically, I carried you on eagle's wings. Now, why would God bring up an eagle? What in the world does that mean, and what does that have to do with meeting with God? Well, I did my homework, and you'll find this very interesting. A mama eagle makes a nest that usually, on average, listen to this, that nest is eight feet wide and is eight feet deep. In St. Petersburg, Florida, the largest recorded bald eagle nest ever found, this is amazing, was nine and a half feet in diameter. It was 20 feet deep, and it weighed almost three tons. I don't call that a nest. I call that a mall. That thing was huge, but it doesn't matter. The nest is extremely cozy. It's very comfortable. However, eagles were not made for the nest. Eagles were made to fly. So mama eagle does not want those eaglets to get too comfortable in the nest. They're not meant to stay there. They're meant to fly. So let me tell you what this mama eagle does. You ready for this? One at a time, She'll take that little eaglet, she'll pick that eaglet up, she'll take them up to a tremendous height that that eaglet's never been to before, and drops it. I know some of you mamas are saying, I always wanted to do that at times with one of my kids. I get it. <laughs> well, that little eaglet has never flown. He's never flapped his wings. He doesn't know what to do. He's had absolutely no training. He's dropping like a rock. He wonders why his mama dropped him. He wonders if he'll ever see his mama again. You know what that, eagle, that mama eagle does? She waits. She just hovers. And all the time that eagle is going, help, and just falling like a rock. And then at the last moment, she swoops down underneath, picks him up. That eagle is so glad to see his mama. He is so overjoyed. But the joy doesn't last very long because the eagle takes that little eaglet all the way back up to that very same height and drops that eaglet again. And she does it again and again and again until that eaglet finally learns, this is what these things are for. Okay, I think I've got this figured out. Why? Because she wants that eaglet to know two things. This is why you were born, and this is how much I love you. So God reminds Moses to remind the people, you are meeting with a God that looks after you. You're meeting with a God that loves you like a mama eagle loves her eaglets. You're meeting with a God that cares about you. You're meeting with a God who lifts you when you fall. You're meeting with a God that will never leave you, never forsake you, never turn his back on you. So the question is, who wouldn't want to meet with a God like that? And that's why I want to tell you, the number one priority for every one of you Every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, the one thing that will determine the kind of person that you are, the one thing that will determine the kind of life that you live, the one thing that will determine who you need to be and what you ought to be and what you ought to do is keeping that meeting 
with God. And I want to tell some of you this morning, the reason why some of you are having difficulties in your life and problems in your life stems directly because you're not meeting with God. Because I'll tell you what I know is true of you. If you don't make this a priority, if you don't make this a big deal, if you don't take time every single day of your life and you have this meeting with God, you'll find far more defeat than you do victory. Because the greatest battles in life that we face are not physical. They're not financial. They're not emotional. They're not social. The greatest battles we face in life are spiritual. And you cannot win those battles apart from having the power and the presence of God that comes with meeting with God on a daily basis. I was reading the other day, this fascinated me, one of the greatest pianists, if you're a pianist, you may know this, one of the greatest pianists who ever lived was the Polish pianist, Jan Paderewski. He lived in the first half of the 20th century. Well, when his government asked him, they were fighting your World War II, when the, when the government said, ask him, would you do concerts for us in order to raise money to help us in the war, in the war effort? He was a patriot, but he, here's what he said to them. It's kind of interesting. I'm quoting. I will absolutely do all I can to help under one condition. You must allow me every day to continue playing scales three hours a day. Now, you will pay me for eight hours of work, but I'm going to be playing scales for three. They didn't even hesitate to accept his offer. But wait a minute. Why was he so insistent that out of an eight-hour workday, they were going to pay him three hours a day to do nothing but play scales up and down, and up, and down. Why was he so insistent? I want you to listen to what he said. This is so insightful. He said, if I skip one day of scales when I play in a concert, I'll notice it. If I skip two days of scales, my coach will notice it. If I skip three days, the world will notice. You know why? Because when a pianist regularly plays scales, he develops and maintains the dexterity and the flexibility that those finger, fingers need. And it enables that pianist to move through the most difficult pieces that you play on a piano with speed and with accuracy. Because if he doesn't, at a critical point in that performance, he will fail every single time and everybody will know it. Now, what's the point? You better play your scales every day. And so let me just make this blunt and plain. If you're too busy every day to meet with God, you are too busy. If you're so busy, you don't have time to meet with God, I can tell you right now, you are doing things you don't need to be doing. You are doing things that are absolutely meaningless. Your number one priority every day of your life should be make time for the Lord and take time with the Lord. You'll never go where you need to go. You'll never be what you need to be. You'll never do what you need to do. You'll never do it if you do not go with God, and you cannot go with God if you do not meet with God. You've got to prioritize. The number one thing on my to-do list and has been for probably 50, 60 years of my life, if nothing else happens, every day I'm going to get into God's Word and I'm going to spend time with God. You say, well, you're a pastor. I did it before I became a pastor. I don't do it because I'm a pastor. I will tell you this. I wouldn't be the pastor I am if I didn't do it. We must prioritize meeting with God. Number two, we must prepare for meeting with God. We got to prepare for it. You know, at that Yalta conference when, when Roosevelt and Churchill and Stalin met, every leader showed up prepared. 
Every man brought their advisors, their heads of state, their ambassadors. Everyone had a list of plans and priorities, and they had an agenda. They had something they wanted to accomplish. For example, Roosevelt came and said, I want you to support us when we attack Japan. He said that to Russia. I want, we need your help. Stalin said, okay, I want a greater Russian influence in the United Nations. Churchill said, all right, I want to guarantee there will be free and democratic elections all throughout Europe. They all came prepared. See, the only thing worse than meeting the most important meeting in your life, the only thing worse than missing that meeting is to go to that meeting unprepared. I'll be honest. I'd rather miss a crucial meeting than to go unprepared. I really had. And when you meet with God, you've got to be prepared. Well, God tells Moses how the people are to be prepared. Listen to this. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. And you may say, why you got to wash your clothes? Hang with me. Wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people for the first time in four centuries. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They're to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal should be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long way, uh, a long blast, may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. They washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. One of the cardinal rules of going into an important meeting. If you, by the way, if you've got a big meeting tomorrow, you've got a big meeting coming up, let me tell you rule number one. You better know who you're meeting with. You better do your homework. You better know exactly who you're meeting with, and then you better make sure you make the best impression the moment you walk through that door. So God wants the people right off the bat to understand two things before this meeting. He said, I want you to understand how sinful you are. And I want you to understand how holy I am. You understand how sinful you are. You understand how holy I am. So he says, okay, number one, wash your clothes. Don't come dirty. Number two, don't get too close. Number three, abstain from sexual relations. I want to stop right there. I know some of you are going, okay, I get the first part. What's the whole deal about abstaining from sexual relations? Well, that's very, really, very revealing. Because back in the ancient Near Eastern world, the character of the God that you worship determined the character of the worshiper. So you know why pagans would have sex with temple prostitutes? You know why pagans would sacrifice their own children? Because that's the way their pagan God acted. That's their way, the way the pagan God lived their life. But this is a holy, morally perfect, upright God. And he says to his worshipers, if you want to meet with me, You've got to be morally straight. You've got to be ethically true. You've got to be spiritually true and that pure. And that was so unique in the ancient world. As a matter of fact, this is what set Christianity and Judaism apart from every other religion at that time. He said, look, you want to meet with me? You put a clean body in clean clothes because that reflected clean hearts. Because God is ready to speak to you and you're ready to hear when two things are true. You remember who you are, and you remember who he is. Let me tell you why. Watch this. If we forget 
how sinful we are. We will be deceived in how we see ourselves. But if we forget how holy God is, we, be, we will be deficient in how we see him. You know why most people in this world never connect with God? Never. Never come into the country mile? Because they think they're good and they're not. And they think he's cool and he's holy. So they're deceived in how they see themselves. And they're deficient in how they see God. James 4, 8 says this. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. That's true. I draw near to God. God will draw near to me. However, there is a caveat. There is an asterisk. There is a footnote. There is fine print. And here it is. We can draw near to God because we are near to God, but it should always be in the fear of God. We can draw near to God because we are near to God, but it should always be in the fear of God. When you go into the presence of God, you go into that presence with reverence. You go into that presence with respect. You go into that reverence with a rightful fear. And by the way, let me tell you how you can know you've been in the presence of God. When you've really been in the presence of God, you won't be the same. You cannot be the same. As a matter of fact, Moses would say this if he were to do, here today. If your belief in God has not affected the way you live, you believe in the wrong God. If your belief in God has not affected the way you live, you believe in the wrong God. I would say this. If you say that, you, if, if, you, if you meet with a God that doesn't drive you to your knees, if you meet with a God that doesn't remind you of how sinful you are without him, how holy he is, you've not met with the real God. So the reason why some of you don't connect with God is because you've got sin in your life. You've got these things you don't do you should be doing and these things you do that you should not be doing. And you think you've got to just waltz into God's presence and he'll let bygones be bygones. No, you've got to prepare yourself. Clean minds, clean thoughts, clean hearts. I recognize who you are. I recognize who I am. So you've got to prioritize your meeting with God. We've got to prioritize it. Number two, we've got to prepare for our meeting with God. And this last thing would be done. We've got to practice meeting with God. We have to practice meeting with God. Now, tell you a little secret about the book of Exodus. We're in the Exodus chapter 19. You wouldn't know this, but I know it, so I'm going to tell you. You can really divide the book of Exodus up into two parts. Chapters 1 through 18 is part 1. That deals with the Exodus itself. That deals with getting the people of Israel out of Egypt. That's where you get the name of the book, first 18 chapters. But then beginning in the next chapter, which we're in now chapter 19, and for the next 22 chapters, it's all about the giving of the law. God's now going to say, okay, I brought you out of Egypt. Now, let me tell you how I want you to live now that you are out of Egypt. See, Moses had led them to liberty, right? But now he's going to lay down the law. Because in Exodus chapter 20, what does God do? He gives the Ten Commandments. So let me ask you a question. Why does law come right after liberty because of something we have forgotten in America, and it's killing us. We are the land of liberty, and thank God for liberty. We are the land of the free, and thank God for freedom. But my brothers and my sisters, with freedom comes responsibility. Listen to me carefully. Not just rights, but responsibility. 
One of the biggest things wrong with America today, everybody demands their rights, but nobody talks about responsibility. Give you an example. I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. The Bible's very plain. If you're able to work and you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Now, if that makes you mad, take it up with him. He wrote it. I didn't write it. I could go on and on and on. There's a lot about the Bible we could learn from about how to run the country, by the way. But everybody talks about rights. The primary responsibility of freedom is not that you have rights. Now you've got responsibility. You've got to live a life worthy of that liberty. So God said, listen, I did not bring you out of Egypt so you could live for you. I brought you out of Egypt so you could live for me. And let me tell you now how that life is to be lived. So God tell Mo tells Moses to spell out, let them know again what I've done to them up to this point. Now watch what God says. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my commandment, that's what he, my covenant, that's what he's about to give them, okay? His commandment, his covenant. Then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are speak to the speak to the Israelites. Now, I'm going to make this so practical. And I really am glad to see some of these kids down here because this is really good for you kids to hear. You guys have your life ahead of you. Some of us in here, we, got, we don't have a lot of runway left. You got a long runway left. You got a lot to live for, a lot to do. God knows how to live life better than you do because he gave it to you. He knows it better than you do. He knows how you can make your life the happiest, the best, the sweetest, and the greatest. He knows because he wrote the manual. He knows how to do that. God knows how life, life works better than we do. So God is about to give the nation of Israel, you know, we, we look at these Ten Commandments, we think, yeah, I know, I get so tired and sick of the Ten Commandments, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, and don't do this. That's not what the Ten Commandments are. You know what the Ten Commandments are? It's God's recipe on how to live a life full of joy, how to live a life full of happiness, how to live a life to the max, how to avoid the things that will, break the, that will bring you the most heartache. I got to tell you this story. You, th this is so cool. I, I didn't just read this the other day. There was a famous golfer. If you're a golfer, you'll know the name. If you don't, that's okay. His name was Chi-Chi Rodriguez. How many of you remember know that name? Oh, some of you do. Chi kind of an interesting character. The true story. He, um, he was driving down the street. He grew up in Puerto Rico. So he's driving down the street with his friend in Puerto Rico. And he's going super fast. And the light changed from yellow to red. He just blew right through it. Didn't, didn't even look. Didn't even slow down. Just blew right through it. Well, his friend almost had a heart attack. He said, Chi-Chi, what in the world are you doing? You just ran a red light. Don't you stop for red lights? And Chi-Chi said, well, my brother taught me to drive. And he never stops at red lights, so I don't stop at red lights. Well, sure enough, a little further down the road, he came to another intersection. And he blew his horn and ran right through that red light. Well, now his buddy's shaking like a leaf. He said, Chi-Chi, you are going to get us killed. What are you thinking? Chi-Chi said, my brother taught me to drive. He doesn't stop for red lights. I don't stop at red lights. Well, they're driving a little far farther, and they come to this intersection, and the light was red, and the light turned green. Chi-Chi slammed on his brakes, came to a screeching halt, 
nervously looking both ways. He said, why are you stopping now? That's a green light. He said, yeah, I know. My brother might be coming. <laughs> do you know what we tend to do in our life? What we tend to do in our life is we run the red light and stop at the green light. We do what we shouldn't do, and we don't do what we should do. So for the first time in all of history in the next chapter, what does God do? He writes down his word. First time, he writes down his word. He writes it with his own finger. Remember, until Moses, there was no written word. There was no written word at all. It didn't exist. But now God takes a piece of stone, and with his own finger, he writes it down with his own finger. Why did he do that? Because he was saying to Moses, he was saying to Israel, he was saying to us, you want me to speak to you? Yes, Lord, I do. You want to hear my voice? Yes, Lord, I want to hear your voice. God says, this is how you do it. This is how I'm going to talk to you. This is what you need to listen to right here. What I write down, this is what you need. Now, I'm going to set all that to kind of set this up. We're talking about meeting with God. You only need two things to meet with God. So we make it so complicated. It's not. You only need two things to meet with God. First of all, you need a place. You got to have a place. Exodus 19 makes it plain. The people came to a place where they met God, and that place was a mountain, Right? Here's my question for you. Here's the big question for you. Ready? Where's your mountain? Everybody in this room, everybody watching me right now, if you know God, you ought to have a mountain. I've got mine. I've had one all of my life. You ought to have a mountain. Mine is in my study. Yours may be in your bedroom. Yours may, your, yours may be on the back porch. Yours may be on a patio. Your, yours may be in a closet. I don't know. But everybody ought to have a mountain. It may be in your recliner, in your living room. It may be lying in your bed. As I said, mine is my study. But the first thing you've got to have, you're going to meet with God. You've got to have a place. And by the way, God, I don't believe, cares about the place. He's not even overly concerned about the amount of time you spend because what he wants is not your time. He wants you. So the first thing some of you need to do today is, you know what, I've got to find a place. Then the second thing you've got to have is a plan. You gotta have a systematic approach to going to God's word, opening God's word, listening to God's word. And here's what I found that works best for me. When I meet with God every day, when I have my meeting with God, I always let God go first. I always let God do the talking first. You need to do it every day. And I wanna tell you how this works out. I wanna tell you why it's such a big deal. Austin Cole, I, this blew my mind when I read this. Austin Cole and Pamela Ovigo, they were working with the Center of Biblical Engagement. They did extensive research. Now, listen to this. They polled 40,000 people, ages 8 to 80, 40,000 people. And they wanted to study how people, these were people who claimed to be believers, they wanted to study with, how do you engage the Bible? Well, how, how do you connect with the Bible? They made a profound discovery that absolutely shocked them. They weren't even looking for it. I want you to really pay attention to this. This is mind-boggling to me. When people only read the Bible one time a week, which would include just going to church and listening to the pastor preach, there was no effect 
on any key area in their life. Now, just let that sink in. If you're one of those people and the only Bible you get is the Bible you get when you come here, the only scripture you ever have come to your mind is the scripture we put up on the screen. It doesn't matter how great my sermon is. It doesn't matter how motivating it may be. It doesn't matter how much it may fire you up before you walk out of here. What they found is, in effect, when the smoke is cleared and the lights are turned off and the door is shut and you're out there, it will have no effect on any key area in your life. Now, if they read the Bible twice a week, same result. So you say, okay, I'll read my Bible tomorrow. You read it tomorrow, and that's it. Don't touch it the rest of the week. It'll have no effect on your life. If they read it three times a week, there was what they called a faint heartbeat. You, you could hear it, but that's about it, a faint heartbeat. But something slightly began to move. But the eye-opener happened when they read the Bible the fourth time in a week. Now watch this. All of a sudden, there was an explosive spike on the effect it had on the lives of these people. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Watching pornography dropped 61%. Sharing their faith jumped 200%. And discipling other people jumped 230%. I don't know about you. I believe that'd make me want to open this book four times a week. I believe I'd look at that and I'd say, you know what, there must be something to what this guy's talking about. I think I've been kind of shortchanging myself because I cannot overemphasize enough to you having a mountaintop meeting with God every single day. Let me tell you what that means. That means you shut your door, you turn off your cell phone, you get off your computer, you open this book, and you let God do the talking. You need a mountain to meet with God. We all need a mountain to meet with God. But there's one last thing. Because I've told you a hundred times, all of the Bible is about, say it out loud, Jesus. All the Bible's about Jesus. So we'll wrap up here. You need a mountain to meet with God. We all, okay, I get that. But you know what? You still won't meet with God unless you have a mediator. Because what this world doesn't understand is you, don't, you can't meet God on your own. Remember I told you, he sets the terms, not you. You gotta have a mediator. You gotta have a go-between. I mean, even Moses was not able to see God directly. Now watch this. That's why God sent Jesus. Because through Jesus, guess what? We can go into the presence of God anytime we want to. We can meet with God face-to-face anytime we want to. We can have a heart-to-heart with God anytime we want to. And we can go to that mountain every time. And when we do, we will win every battle. We will defeat every foe. So I'm going to ask you, beginning today, whatever else you do, you have that mountaintop meeting with God, and your life will never be the same. Would you pray with me right now? Heads bowed and eyes closed. You can't meet with God till you know God. You can't know God until you come to Jesus. 
There's some of you, maybe today, you need to meet God for the first time. You're in this room and you need to meet God. You're watching right now by television or on a computer or an iPad. You need to meet God right now. Here's the thing. God is ready to meet with you. There's a mediator. His name is Jesus. He's already set up the appointment. He's already opened the door. He's already provided a chair for you. But you have to come through his blood. You've got to come through his cross. You've got to come through his death and his resurrection. Here's my question. Do you want to know God and meet with God? Do you want to know that you and God are on a first-name basis? Wouldn't you like to know every single day of your life you have the presence and the power of God in your life? If the answer to that is yes, then you've got to make a decision to give your life, all of your life, to Jesus Christ. So I'm talking maybe to an 8-year-old or an 80-year-old. Maybe I'm talking to a married person or a single person. I'm not talking to a man or a woman, boy or girl. If you today would say, boy, pastor, I'd like nothing more than to know that I can meet with God every single day. I'd like to know for the rest of my life that I'm going to live my life to the fullest because I know Jesus. Would you just pray this prayer right now, right? Just, just in your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I cannot come to you on my own. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe you are that Savior. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. So, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I've received your gift, your free gift of eternal life. And now, Lord Jesus, knowing that your Holy Spirit lives in me, help me for the rest of my life to obey you, to follow you, to do all that you command me to do. Because I know when I do that, I will live the life I was meant to live. Now, if you're in this room and you made that decision for Jesus, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. When this service is over, you go out to the lobby, there's a table there called Connection Point. I'd like to ask you to go to that table. There will be people there waiting on you. All you've got to do is go to that person and say, hey, I want you to know I, I prayed to give my life to Christ today. I, I trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. That's all you need to do. That's it. They'll know exactly what to do. They'll know the next steps you need to take. They'll know exactly the information that you need to get, and they'll give that to you, and you'll be on your way. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, if you prayed to give your life to Jesus, the very first thing God wants you to do is exactly what Austin did a while ago, be baptized. I can't even tell Austin right now what a thrill that was for me to watch that. Haley, the impact that she and her family's had on his life, what a thrill, what a blessing. But what he did, some of you need to do. Some of you have never been biblically baptized since you became a believer. You need to do that. If you're in this room today, I'm going to ask you to go out to that table, and you may need to say this. You know, I've been saved. I've trusted Jesus, but I've never been biblically baptized. I need to do that. Then it may be some of you have been coming here for a while, and you'd say, I, I need to join this church. I need to be a part of it. I need to get involved here so I can worship and disciple and serve and be sent. Go to the table. Let them know that. Now, if you're watching right now by camera, or you're in this room and for whatever reason can't go to the table, 
I want you to do this. You can either get on your iPhone or your computer or your tablet, go to crosspointschurch.com slash decision, or text Jesus to 678-255-2566. You can do either one of those things. I got saved. I want to be baptized. I want to do in church. Or I've got a spiritual need. You can do that. Go to that website. Go to that text. And we'll make, take care of you. Lord, my mom taught me from the time I was nine years old and gave my life to Jesus that I could meet with you every day. And it's been the greatest privilege of my life. Father, I pray this week that there'd be so many people that were in this building, that there'd be so many people watching right now, so many that would pick up this book, have a plan, open this book, and oh God, let them pass that four-day, four-time threshold. Because there's so many people, they have lived in defeat all their life. They've never gotten out of the Christian life all that you wanted them to have because they keep this book closed. May they open your word this week, listen to your voice, experience your presence, and may you do for them what you always do for me when I meet with you because you never fail. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.